This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Mobile hunters, are you looking to make the move to saddle hunting this year? Or maybe you just want to add a few new pieces of gear or upgrade your current saddle gear. If that's the case, then head over to tetherednation.com where they've got all mobile hunters covered. Whether you're new to saddle hunting or an old timer, Tethered is your one-stop saddle shop. From saddles to ropes, sticks, ascenders, whatever it is you need, they have you covered. I've personally been using their gear for the past three seasons. Now, my base setup consists of the Phantom Saddle and the Predator Platform. And if you're wondering why I've chosen to use their gear above all else, here's the cliff notes. They're innovative and pushing the mobile hunting forward overall. They cut no corners and prioritize the safety and performance of their gear. They care about the community that they've created, and their gear allows me to hunt free. And above all else, I like to support good people doing good work. If you're interested in upping your mobile hunting game, then head to tetherednation.com. This podcast is brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. Skull Brew Coffee roasts premium single-origin coffee, guaranteeing to deliver the freshest coffee directly to your doorstep. The kicker, they're 2% for conservation certified and donate 10% of their proceeds back to organizations who support the interests of our hunting community. So go to SkullBrewCoffee.com and pick up one of their three killer roasts and fuel your hunt and fill more tags with Skull Brew Coffee. Welcome to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 212. Today I'm joined by my buddy Aaron Hepler for part number two of our conversation, and we are talking big woods hunting and more, so stay tuned. What is up, everyone? Happy Wednesday to you. Hope you are doing well. Hope you are feeling fine. If you have some deer season left, I hope you're getting after it. Hope you're finding success. If you don't have any deer season left, I hope that you are enjoying maybe a little bit of downtime. And then, you know, for me, at least, thoughts start to quickly shift to the off season and and starting to make off season plans. I'm in in the situation where I do have just a little bit of deer season left. 
I put on on Sunday, or I'm sorry, on Saturday, probably what will be my final hunt of the year. Um, you know, we'll I'll do a post mortem on the year. I'll have someone on either John or Chad or someone like that to talk and kind of do our traditional annual, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly of the of the previous season. Um, but not gonna lie, man, this season was just a little bit disappointing for me. Um, you know, had some good opportunities in Pennsylvania. I've documented those, had some decent deer screwed the pooch on one that I should have killed, but just I made a rookie mistake and, and blew that opportunity. Of course, had the stuff that went down in um, <clears throat> in Missouri, which was super disappointing. And then the other state that I hunted had one good encounter with a deer that was probably borderline to take, uh, but ended up letting him roll, letting him roll by um, and never took and never, you know, never pulled my bow back on him. So that was kind of the gist of gist of my season. Then of course I had an injury that I've been kind of nursing and, you know, just recently was able to get back out into the timber. So I hunted this weekend, um, really trying to put some meat in the freezer. I went to a place I hadn't been to before, just kind of a flyer. Um, it's a little small, little overlooked piece that I thought might be holding some deer here post post gun season where I live. You're actually still able to shotgun hunt, I believe all the way through to the end of January. Um, so I do have a couple weeks left of the season, but, uh, the reality is I have some other obligations here toward the end of the month that I'm just probably not going to be able to get out unless, you know, unless, unless plans change and I'm able to kind of catch one more day, um, day in the timber. So with that, I'm probably going to really start shifting my focus toward, and actually really have already started shifting my focus a little bit, doing some e-scouting, um, starting to make plans for next year. I'm pretty sure, you know, I'll say I'm probably 90% sure that I'll be going to Kansas next year. That's kind of, or this 2021, whatever, you know, this upcoming season, I guess. Um, that's pretty much a lock. That's the only state additional state that's on the agenda now. Um, for the moment, I might slip into a spot in Ohio, potentially it just kind of all depends on how things shake out, but doing a lot of e-scouting right now, trying to figure out what zone in Kansas I'm going to be headed to and starting to think uh, about shed hunting and scouting. Um, that's really kind of what's on my agenda right now is to, is to hit the timber hard on some new in some new areas. I think I mentioned previously that, you know, now that I have the trailer, I can head out and kind of go a little further away from home to do some scouting and, and be able to spend a couple of days to get a lot of good intel as opposed to just trying to burn a single day. I can maybe spend, you know, two full days in a spot and have a place to stay to kind of be able to make that happen on some different pieces of public land. It's just a little further away from my house. So that's kind of what the plan is there. But with that, I have two things to kind of mention for you guys uh, before we hop into today's podcast. The first one is mention, mentioning scouting. You know, one of the things I take with me whenever I scout, of course, is the uh, Skull Brew Coffee. And I'm not sure if you guys know, but I uh, we release these backcountry packs, which are basically travel-proof, pour-over packs, coffee that's ready to go into the timber. You just need a jet boiler or a way to heat some water, pour it into the coffee, and boom, you've got fresh coffee to roll um, those are on the website skullbrewcoffee.com. Check those out. There's also some merch there too. If you haven't, uh, if you haven't been there, um, go ahead and check out some of those. Some shirts, um, some thermal hoodies, etc., are all on skullbrewcoffee.com. The other thing to mention too is I actually now have Truth from the Stand merch. Um, you can go to my Instagram page and hit the uh, link in my bio uh, to get to the Teespring site uh, where all the merch is housed. Uh, but right now, if you're interested in picking up some, you know, a hoodie, shirt, T-shirt, whatever it is from Truth From The Stand, if you use the promo code TFTS21, that will save you some cash on some Truth From The Stand merch. So head to my Instagram 
page, hit the link in bio and the link for the merch will be there. Or you can hit the link for the merch on the website, which is just truthfromthestand.com. So with that, have a cool share for you guys today. This is part number two with my buddy, Aaron Hepler. As I'd mentioned in the previous podcast, we did part number one, where we really just kind of talked about our upbringings of, you know, uh, in hunting in general, since he and I are both from Pennsylvania and we don't live too far from one another. This session today really kind of dives more into the area that Aaron is hunting and how he hunts. We talk a little bit about big woods, you know, a lot of the stuff that he's hunting and, and he has an affinity for is big woods hunting. Um, and so we cover, you know, a fair amount of that. A lot of the area that he's hunts is, is hill country. So we talk a little bit about, about hill country, uh, and, and bedding in hill country. We, we talk about, you know, clear cuts and the value that they have, especially when you're in some of these big woods, um, setting. And the other thing that we touch on too, I think is really kind of interesting and, and, and cool. And it kind of plays into a lot of the stuff that we talk about, whether it's, you know, I really, uh, regardless of the guests that we have on is scouting principles or hunting principles versus applying them. You know, a lot of times we get in these situations where we think deer bed, you know, we'll say an upper one third or whatever. And so we dismiss what might be happening in lower elevations. And we talk about, you know, having a framework to work from to point you in the right direction, but how we need to make sure we keep that framework flexible to adapt to whatever the parcel is telling us. So we talk a little bit about that as well. So with that, we won't delay this any longer. We'll go ahead and get jumped into the podcast with Aaron Hepler. But first, as always, I want to thank you all for listening. Yeah, dude. I mean, I think we hunt public for a lot of the same reasons. What does the terrain kind of look like where you're where you're at? Because I have some stuff around here that's gets into like a couple thousand acres, but I also around here have a lot of smaller parcels just because I'm kind of in closer to an urban area. So I'm just curious what kind of, you know, in your area, what that terrain and stuff kind of looks like. So I, I do, I have, I have probably, you know, a couple, it varies a little bit because I do have some areas that are near, uh, bigger bodies of water and, and that are more ag. Um, I don't, I don't hunt those an awful lot cause they do get a lot of pressure, massive amounts of pressure. Yeah. Um, but they're good areas. You just, they're just different and they're not, they're not what I like to to get on like i have a hard time hunting deer in fence rows where people are walking past me all day long <laughs> right uh, even though you might see you might see some big ones there you might see some big ones there but it's hard to you know to sit there and get rained on by shot shells from pheasant hunters and things like that you know been there yes um but uh I, the train that i'm i'm hunting is it's hill country mm-hmm. you know your typical ridge system with points and benches and um uh, uh, things like that, big oak ridges and things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think, you know, when you're hunting big woods like that, I think the, like I said, the, the things that I like to pinch deer down with are, are the train features that I prefer are, you know, I really, really like ditch crossings in a ridge mm-hmm. system where ridges come together and, and make all those folds and dips and things like that. A lot of times you'll find water in those too like a little, you know, whether it's like a little mountain spring that trickles down and, or, and, and holds water, not, not, not something that's inconsistent, you know, not right. that it needs to get. Um, but I found, I found scouting. I, I found that a lot of times, um, uh, you know, the typical buck beds that you see in Hills that like Dan Infault, I know he's influenced a lot of us in Pennsylvania. Everybody talks about Dan Infault right. in Pennsylvania and the the initial things that you learn about are like oh deer bed 
with the wind blowing over their back and the thermals coming up into their face and they bet on the end of a point. Well, sometimes that's true. Most of the time it's true probably, but it's not always true. Mm-hmm. The deer, I, I find that I'm, I'm hunting tend to pr- prefer if it's the better cover or what cover they can get to if they need to. Right. Um, See, I think that's yeah. an interesting point because even in talking to Dan, right. Cause I did that whole series with him on like where we, had people write questions in and and sometimes folks would ask about you know do you ever see deer bedded low right Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. and he will be the first to tell you and i think this is how he answered if i'm remembering correctly it's like if the best cover is low and and the security is low and the least amount of human intrusion is low Mm -hmm. in the lower elevation they'll bed in the lower elevation right right because i think what people have to remember like these things are all principles and rules of thumb Right. If yeah. everything in a vacuum, this is how they're what they're going to look for and how they're going to act. Right. Right. Every parcel is kind of unique and you have to yep. kind of study the parcel and understand how they're going to react to the things, the environment of that, of that parcel. Right. So, exactly. A buddy of uh, a buddy of mine, you know, Johnny Stewart, you know, mm-hmm. like he's he's a killer, man. Like he just not only does he kill deer, he puts people on deer. You know what I mean? Right. It has them killed deer. Like and it's, I put Bo Martonic on that. Yeah. Yeah. You know what oh. I mean? And it's like he put, you know, Greg has gone out and scouted with him and it's just Johnny just really knows his stuff. And, you know, Greg was telling me a story and I don't remember if we did on the podcast. We just recorded. It'll come out right before this one. Um, mm-hmm. He was telling me a story about when he first started scouting with Johnny because he's just a savage when it comes to like he just thinks differently, you know, and yeah. Greg was like, I went out to scout with him and he was like, I want to check these upper thirds. And Johnny's like, nah, don't waste your time. Yeah. And Greg's like, nah, he's like, man, it's, you know, where the bedding should be. And Johnny's like, you can go ahead and check all of them. He's like, but you won't find anything. And so I think Greg went and scouted the upper thirds from this mountain or whatever, comes back. And John's like, Johnny's like, what'd you see? He's like, I didn't see anything. He's like, yeah, he's yeah. like, they all bed low here. He's like, and it's just completely counterintuitive to what you would think. But Greg didn't say this when we were talking, but I'm just remembering back that he said, the way they're positioned there is most their most of their uh, entrance, if I've or their access, if I'm not mistaken, is from the top mm-hmm. because they're already on top of the mountain. Right. So it'd stand a reason if people are accessing from the top, where are the deer going to move, right? They're probably going to bed low where people aren't bothering them, right? And so mm-hmm. it's it's just interesting that you were saying it's like you know it wasn't really at the classic spot, even though you know that's mm-hmm. what conventional wisdom would tell you it's also taking into account what is making the deer do what they're, what they're doing on that piece. Right. I do think, you know, as far as hill country goes, I think one thing that's consistent with bedding is, uh, something they use as a wind, as a, as a, uh, just a, a people blocker in general is the, is maybe something like a, a pinched off ridge where it gets steep on one side where they can just jump over the side of it. They, they can go down it. We right. can't go down that quick, but they can. Right. Um, that's one thing that I noticed is they'll be able to get off the edge of a bench or something like that. But they they are lower and they they don't bed far off that. I find a lot of beds that aren't far off of these ditches and maybe along the sides of the ditches, because a lot mm-hmm. of times it's really thick in the bottoms of those ditches or up on the tops of them or something like that where they can get away real easy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do like I find a lot of sheds that way when I'm really. Yeah, when I'm crossing these ditches, you find the big trails, and and a lot of times they'll be antlers on either side of it or near the beds that they bed on in between these ditch systems. 
Um, but I think one thing that you can take from bed hunting is like the, is the rage now and every, everything, you know, everything you read in magazines, like you all, you always get these guys that are like, Oh, this is the way to do it. And I think the one cool thing about Dan is, is I don't think he thinks his way is the way, the way or the highway. You know what I mean? Right. Like you got you to take bits and pieces and then apply those pieces to where you're hunting and to how, uh, to how it might work into your scenario. Cause not everybody, not one person's way is the right way. Right. Yeah. No, I would definitely say that, man. Cause he's definitely, you know, <clears throat> he's the thing with him and guys like him just in general, uh-huh. it's like they're students of the game. Yeah. They're always evolving. Right. He yep. has a, he has a method and that's like, you know, he has a framework that he can basically go anywhere and have a place to start that has a reasonable amount or a reasonable opportunity to be successful. Right. And then from there, as he learns, whatever the piece is, he then starts to adapt within his framework to try to, to to hunt the piece, you know, and that to me is really, you know, the biggest takeaway if anybody out there listening is like newer to that style of hunting or whatever, is that it's really just a framework to get you pointed in the right direction. Exactly. It's like, don't be afraid to hunt a spot that you don't think is that you should hunt because it's not the upper third or it's not this or that or whatever the case is. It's like, if the sign is there, the deer will be there. The one thing that I think is constant that you do have to consider is what is my wind doing? Was one of my thermals doing? Cause you won't beat those, right? Like, doesn't matter where, where it's at, like where the sign is at, like it's the sign is there, the deer are there, right? It just then becomes an issue of like, can I beat his nose based on the wind and what the thermal is going to give, what the thermals are going to do, you know? Yeah. And that's it. Only Johnny Eberhardt can do that. Right. And, <laughs> and if the answer is no, that there's no way to beat his nose there, then he's yeah. definitely there. Exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like when you walk into a spot and you're like, man, I don't know how I'd hunt this. Mm-hmm. Like pretty sure there's going to be a good, a decent buck there. Exactly. You know, cause they don't, they don't make those times types of mistakes. Yeah. I think, you know, the one, the one cool thing about PA and the big woods is maybe we don't have food plots and there, you know, like I said, there are some pieces where the, the game commission does a good job at putting, you know, maybe clover or turnips in or something like that. But the one thing that is consistent on the public land in big woods is clear cuts. Yeah. And they're, they're amazing. And I think everybody's learning that now because, you know, some of the, some of my favorite ones are, are, uh, are covered up in tree stands now. (laughs) (laughs) Clear cuts are terrible. Don't ever hunt them. (laughs) You won't see anything. Yeah. Bears, lots of bears. Right. Yeah. I, uh, I had a method this year for how I was kind of dissecting and finding clear cuts. And actually it was like a little feather. Like I gave myself a little pat on the back actually, because I was talking to Andy May about it. He was on the show and we were just talking about different approaches to hunting and stuff like that. And his big thing was, was like, doing things that other people aren't going to do. Like yeah. always trying to be and think outside the box because it'll put you in positions where no one else will be. And, mm-hmm. and that's likely where deer are, especially in high pressured places with a lot of people. And he's mm-hmm. from Michigan, right? So it's like PA in Michigan, a lot of pressure. And what I had said was I started finding these clear cuts that had these mountaintop swamps in them. And what yeah. I was looking for was like small water ingresses that were, if I'm walking down an access trail or like a two track or like an old, you know, maybe it's got like handicap access, four wheeler access during gun season or whatever. Right. And it's like, it's gravel, you know, and so I'm walking down that and I'm walking along these clear cut edges. And then if I see a water runoff into a cut, 
I'm like, I'll follow that water. I mean, it'll be thick and nasty, but eventually it'll pool where it kills everything because it's too mm-hmm. wet and it, and then it opens up. Yeah. And then that was usually where I started finding beds, started finding scrapes, started finding old rubs and stuff like that because it was like this little sanctuary in the middle of this 20 acre clear cut. And then all of a sudden you could see how they built their highway systems in there and how they moved through there. Yeah. You know, and, and he was like, Oh, I never thought of that. He's like, that's a, he's like, that's an interesting take. And I was like, now I wish I would have never said it. And here I am saying it again. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and that's, and so I think that's, well, and you know, the game commission doesn't make it easy either. Cause if you go on there, well, I actually wrote a story about this in the game news. Um, if you go on the Game Commission's website, you can find all the um, deer hunter focus areas. And most mm-hmm. of the time it's because they recently clear cut an area or they did some kind of food plot improvement or something like that. Right. And I, when I first started hunting, I think I hunted two or three years on public land where we were having, we were seeing some, I was starting to see, finally start to see some pieces come together where I was seeing some nice bucks or or, you know, me and my buddies could talk about some encounters or maybe some nice sign that we found, but we really weren't getting what we, what we were looking for. Mm-hmm. And that's like, when I was like, I got to find where something nice, li- like what I really want to shoot lives, you know? Right. And that's, I found like, Oh, go to this deer hunter focus area. Like, cause everybody, you read the magazines, it's like, Oh, call the game commission. They don't, that's very difficult. Like, right. They, it's not that they're not nice, but they're great people. You know, I know a lot of game commission officers now and they're great people. They're, they're nice. They want to share information, but they also don't want to just, uh, where can I kill the biggest buck? They're not going to tell you where yeah, that, you have that. to have a little bit of an approach of how to do it. You know right, what I mean? Exactly. It's like, and you know, you have to know the questions to ask them and show them you've done some of your homework. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like, so, that's the thing. It's like, it doesn't matter whether it's PA or, you know, even it applies to anywhere. Yeah. I mean, I was in a, I was, I was hunting out of state this year and uh, a conservation officer stopped because he saw my buddy and I there and he just wanted to check our license and stuff like that, make sure we were legal and stuff. Mm -hmm. So he came over and we started talking and, you know, we showed him our our license. We were good to go. And we started kind of chit chatting. We were like, you know, you just start asking like, Hey, you know, you, I was over scouting this piece this summer. You know, there was a bunch of sign there the year before. I didn't really see anything this year, you know, had some cameras in there and, you know, doesn't seem to be the oaks don't seem to be dropping there as well as they did year prior. You know, is there is there a place here where you know are you hearing like a bunch of oaks are over in a particular area, or are you hearing about any really big deer in the in, in the area just in general? And he'll be like, well, you know, over off a of road, you know, and like if you show that you knew you know the area, you've scouted it a little bit, you've got a little bit of intel. I'm not looking for a GPS pin. I'm just right. looking for you to point me in a direction to go use what I already know to be a little bit more effective. For sure, for you know? sure. And I, you know, I think one of the things that it's easy for PA hunters to get on their mapping system and kind of look at these areas. Uh, Like I said, I think some people are learning that now, like, oh, I I can kind of figure out there's a lot more pressure in those areas in the, in the last year or two Mm -hmm. than there normally would be. Um, But at the same time, there's still some really nice deer around those areas. Like I, I, I hesitate to say this too loudly or even on this show in general mm-hmm. <laughs> is again, was hung out this past or this past weekend with my buddy, Greg. And, you know, it's, um, 
Look, Pennsylvania is never going to be Iowa. It probably won't even be Ohio. You can mm-hmm. find pockets of PA that'll be very be very close to what you can get in some pockets in Ohio. Yeah, I've hunted Ohio for several years and like the pressure there seems to be going up and like just increasing every year, you know, to be, to where places that I used to not see any people ever, Mm -hmm. like I'm seeing a lot of people and a lot of trucks, you know? Um, and so it makes me kind of take pause as to whether or not, how often I'm going to hunt that state continually going forward just because it's just not, um, it's not the same experience that I was having previously, put it that way. And with the antler point restrictions and stuff like that, there are some pockets in Pennsylvania now that you are getting a caliber of deer that I think it's good and it's bad. It's good because I think we're going to have as, as PA hunters, I think, you know, as Greg and I were talking, there's probably going to be like a good 10 year window where we're going to have a lot of really great opportunity at really great deer as in-state hunters. Um, and then what I think may happen is that, some folks who maybe are from the Northeast that typically would go to Ohio, whether it's New York or, you know, Connecticut, Jersey, whatever, will realize they can just hop the border and be in Pennsylvania and be able to chase a similar caliber of deer as they would in a certain, you know, in a non-giant county of Ohio. You know what I mean? Because if you look at like, and we'll just use Bo as an example. I mean, that's a hammer. You know, I was, that's probably, I don't know what it scored, but just looking at the, just looking at the pictures, I'm looking at it going like, that's probably 160. Yeah. Easy. And not, and that's not being generous. That's like being probably a little conservative, you know what I mean? Right. And that general area, knowing Johnny and a couple other guys that hunt that area, like that's not a rarity there. Right. You know what I mean? Like that's a big deer and that's a rare deer to find just in general. But of that, similar caliber that like 140 to 160 ish or whatever like yeah if you know what you're doing you can find them with relative frequency in that particular area right and it's i still think because pennsylvania's reputation kind of precedes it i still Mm -hmm. think a lot of people like out of state are like ah that's bullshit and there ain't that many big deer there but i'm like man I've seen even around Bedford where my dad's place is, there was a lady that killed like a mid one seventies there last year, mm-hmm. you know, that was like a mile and a half from my dad's. Okay. You know, and it's like, yeah. so <clears throat> the reason I say, I hate even saying it is because I don't want people coming to coming from out of state. <laughs> well, and but it, it, right, exactly. But, and it's, it's every part of PA you hear like a little of mm-hmm. something big here, a little bit, uh, the farm that I hunt on, when I was, when they first opened the antler restriction, when they first started the antler restriction, I was still a junior hunter. And, um, I think that year we, we killed a lot of bucks that everybody killed a buck that year almost, but my, they had opened a propagation area around here. And because there's all these private pieces around some public there, Mm -hmm. there are some really, really big deer. And you can see like Berks County is one of the big one of the big buck counties in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And um he shot this I it was a seven and a half year old 14 pointer. It's, it's huge. Like the you, you know, the bases on the antler, like you couldn't fit your hands around them. And he was like 15 years old. And but it was because the game commission had um 
acquired a new piece of property that they added to the public and ended up opening it up. Well, everything came out of there because everybody was like, I'm going in there. Right. And that's where all the pressure was that year and everything came out of there, you know. And, you know, of course, everybody wanted to say that they saw this deer and they heard of this deer. But right. the, there's there's a little pocket, like you said, in every piece of Pennsylvania that there mm-hmm. is something nice in there. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely some decent like this was a year. And, and this, again, was kind of the proof in the pudding. Like, you know, I've had this year was probably the best year I had as far as like having good deer on camera on public around yeah. around me. You know, yeah. I had. And when I say good deer, it's like I had anything ranging from, you know, uh, 130, right, to there was one in particular that was probably about, you know, similar to what what Bo got his hands on. You know, and that was the one that I bumped early season and I never found him again. You know, we had a fleeting relationship. <laughs> I was more I was more into him than he was to me. <laughs> yeah. You'll have that. Um, you know. I had my standard set relatively low this year. I was not like I've shot two nice bucks the last two years in a row that are, are really good Pennsylvania bucks. Like mm-hmm. uh, uh, I shot a 10 pointer that we'll talk about then with my bow um, two years ago. That that's uh, like 123, mm-hmm. and then I shot I shot a nice 11 pointer on the farm that I hunt last year. I, I don't I don't I haven't really ventured out to the gun hunting part of public land yet because. I know how Pennsylvania is with the, with the, with the, it does. It sounds like a war zone everywhere you yeah. go. Yeah. So I still hunt the farm during rifle season for sure. And a little bit in archery. Um, but I shot a nice, I shot a 136 11 pointer last year nice. um, on the farm. And that was a really great, uh, a great moment for me and some of my friends there. Cause we've shot some really nice bucks on the farm, but that was probably the second biggest buck that I, I've hunted there for 20 years. And right. that's, you know, one of the biggest ones that we've shot there. So I had my standards set pretty low this year. I'm like, I don't want to try to get too lucky. I'm just out to have fun this year and just right with everything that was going on. And like, uh, you know, the, the stuff at, at work with all the, with all the Rona and all that jazz, it's like, yeah. it's a lot of nonsense this year. So I was, I just was out to have a good time this year and that's what I did, you know? Yeah. Nice, man. Yeah. I mean, that's look, <clears throat> my standards aren't nearly that high. This was just happened to be a year yeah. <laughs> where, I kind of got lucky, you know, and just happened to, you know, I mean, I put my work in and I scouted. I mean, I scouted the one thing about the pandemic that was, you know, if there's a silver lining because I couldn't go do anything else from, I mean, I started working from home. Like I think it was like first or second week of March. Right. Yeah. And, um, because as a family, we couldn't really go anywhere or do anything like every Saturday all day. And on Sunday, I just scouted. Yeah. Cause there was nothing else for me to do. And so, do it. yeah. And so I covered pretty much every piece of public that was within like a half hour to 40 minute drive of me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Not every inch of it, but you know, he scouted it, figured out what the key spots were going to be that I would want to look at. And I would just go hit those, you know, and I yeah. would do one or two, maybe three in a day if they were close enough to each other, you know? And, and so I had, had spent a lot of time looking. And so partially that's why I found decent deer this year is cause I just covered a lot of, a ton of ground and I just prioritized where I was going to put cameras in the best of the best spots, you know? Yeah. And, uh, cause look, I don't find deer like that every year. It's like, I'm happy to shoot like a, just a good PA buck. That's three years old. Like I'm tickled to shoot something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, absolutely. so it's, 
for me, it's more like, does it make the heart jump? Because if it does, it's going to get an arrow. You know, that's, yeah. that's more the criteria than anything, you know. Yeah. But, uh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, John. No, I was just going to say, man, so I want to hear about that, uh, the last year's hunt. The 11 pointer? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, uh, so it was a typical like opening morning. Well, actually, I guess last year was the first, uh, first opener Saturday hunt because typically, you know, um, rifle hunting opens on, um, on a Monday in Pennsylvania after Thanksgiving, every, you know, that was the thing. But last year was the first year it opened on a Saturday and everybody knows this year we got, got a couple Sundays in there. Yep. Um, uh, I did not get to enjoy one of them this year. I, I walked around for bears on, on the bear hunting one. Did you? A little bit. I did. I didn't see any, but I did. I had so many bears. Side note, I had so many bears on trail camera. That may be another reason why some of the deer move shifted a little bit. Cause I had an awful lot of bears on camera early on. The one spot where I lost the deer that I was, that I spent six miles on this mountain looking for, there was a bear that was frequenting that general area that I caught him on mm. camera. So I kind of was thinking the same thing for that spot where I was like, Hmm, all the deer activity kind of died around the time he showed up, you know? I, I think I had at least 10 different bears in on one camera. Wow. It was a lot. It was an awful lot of That's bears. That's a lot of bears, man. Yeah, a lot of bears. They were, and they were all, you know, I had one with tags in its ears, one that had a big scar on its back, a mom with cubs. Like they, they were different bears for sure. But anyway, typical morning in Pennsylvania. Um, everybody's excited for the rifle season. And it ended up being like a pretty, if I remember right, it was relatively slow, like a, a slow start to the morning. Um, I think I saw a couple small bucks every, you know, and everybody's texting each other. Are you guys seeing anything yet? Right. No, not here, not here. <laughs> and um, uh, the buddy I talked about that shot the really big buck, the 14 pointer when we were kids, he's actually, uh, he lives in Greece and he was starting to text us like, what is happening? I want to know what's happening at home. You know, and we're like, nothing, man, like <laughs> nothing's happening. We're not seeing anything. Yeah. Well, my friend who owns the farm was just watching fields because he had shot his buck during archery and he always likes to go out and just kind of glass and see what's going on and stuff. And he, <laughs> he was like texting my wife pictures of me in the tree stand from <laughs> wherever he was at through his spot. <laughs> like, Oh, he's having a great day. Like, That's you know? funny. Um, and I think I had seen two does. And I remember somebody texting me being like, oh, we're going to get out for lunch. And I'm like, no, no, no. We're all I I'm not ready to go in for lunch yet. Like, just just wait, because, you know, like everybody goes in for lunch at 11. And you can see that as soon as I said it, you could see like all the other farmers and the other fields just moving around and mm -hmm. starting to go in. And, you know, and everybody's like, oh, Debbie's making soup. We got to go for soup, you know, oh, you know. I'm like, no, we're staying out. Just like, just another hour. Just like, just wait a little bit. And, um, I stood up in my stand and I, I heard a little like stick break and I turned around and I sit on the, I sit on a, a, a funnel. It's like one of the best spots on the farm because it's just, a, it's a really thick wooded valley between two fields and between two big, it connects two big chunks of timber. Mm -hmm. And I turned around, I looked in the field, and there's a huge buck chasing a couple of does around. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. And I 
turned all the way around in my stand and he's running. I'm like following him with my scope. He's running all over. And I finally settled on him and I shot and I shot right over his back. And I'm like, <laughs> oh my goodness. And I jammed my gun. <laughs> That's I'm like fiddling with this thing. And he's like standing at the edge of the woods, just looking around and all the does go the other direction across the field into a different piece of woods. And I'm like, oh no, am I going to lose this deer? And he goes into the woods. I can't see him. I'm like, I am, I am beyond angry. Like I'm right. just so, so angry. And I'm just like, I can't believe you missed You told everybody staying for lunch. You missed that freaking deer. And, um, next thing I know, these does come ripping back across the field and they ran back into the woods where the buck went. I'm like, well, that was weird. And another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Again, they're gone. They're in the thick brush. I'm like, well, I guess they went on that other farm. And then as they normally do, the deer started coming paralleling the, the funnel that the valley that I was sitting in Mm -hmm. on the other side, here comes one doe. And I'm like, Oh, well, that's different. Here comes another doe. And I'm like, Oh boy, I only need one more. Right. And here comes the other doe. And I'm like, he's gotta be coming. So I like, I'm all, I'm all ready. I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I'm waiting. I'm like, well, I guess he's not coming. And then I started to get a little bit angry again. And then I heard a grunt and I was like, oh man, well, he was chasing these does all around. I'm like, there's no way. Why is he not following that? You know? And, um, all I could see was his rack coming out from the bushes. And I'm like, oh my God, I got up on him and, um, I, I made a shot and he ran like he wasn't hit. So I shot while he was running and he's running like he's not hit. And then finally he stops quartered away and I shoot again. I'm like, well, now he's not moving. Well, what I didn't realize was that he dropped over and it was so steep where he was that it just looked like he was quartered away standing. Oh, wow. He was was actually down. And um, when we found him, I I hit him. I I hit him through the lungs, all three shots. Jeez. (laughs) Um, He wasn't going anywhere. My buddy who's sitting in the fields could hear me shooting. And he, I was like, I got him. I got him. (laughs) And he's like, what are you talking about? Cause right before I had said, man, it is so slow this morning. If I see a 70 inch five pointer, I'm shooting it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, well, what did you get? And I'm like, he's like, is he big? And I'm like, he's huge. Next thing you know, he's tearing up a field, driving around his truck and he's like getting out. He's like, where's he at? You know, that's awesome. it was a really exciting moment for him. Cause, um, oddly enough, after, um, after it got done, he had seen the buck almost a half a mile away in a field and um was like this is i was watching this deer this morning like running around in a field chasing does and uh, but the deer made it a whole uh, you know half a mile 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 and a half half a mile i don't remember what it was but through other farms and everything to get to where i was right and um it was a pretty special moment because i've been hunting with him for 20 years and we've hunted his little kids you know 
12 year olds putting in chewing tobacco and running through the woods looking right. for rabbits and you know, like uh so it was a it was a cool moment um and that was my biggest buck at that time um and like i said the year before i had killed my first buck on public land so it's it was a pretty pretty special moment for that for the farm so right that's awesome man. It, it's always cool whenever you have you know buddies with you because that's one of the things you know it's like i don't get out really for gun season a whole a whole mm-hmm. lot um if i do i usually take my bow with me or i'll go if my dad comes up for thanksgiving like i'll meet him at the property and go out like yeah. opening day with him or whatever um but i do miss that part of it a little bit because <clears throat> you know bow hunting is such a um kind of like a like a one-man type of endeavor right it's yeah. like because you're really you're chasing weather patterns you know what I mean? And stuff like that. And you go whenever yep. you have time and the weather's right and the wind's right for the spot you want to be in. And it maybe doesn't marry up with when your buddy's off work. Cause maybe it's a Wednesday and that's the best day to go and he can't go, you know? So it's, mm-hmm. it's very much a, you know, a lone wolf kind of endeavor, you know, which I like about it. You know, I do really like hunting alone, yeah. um, but there's something about, you know, that, um, you know, when you, when you get one down and having a buddy there with you to kind of celebrate and hang out and, and stuff like that, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and just to kind of tell the story, you know what I mean? Cause that's the best part, you know, it's like killing is like kind of second to like, man, I'm going to tell this story to everybody. Oh yeah, <laughs> man. Know what I mean? and that, yeah, absolutely. And I, I got to do it two years in a row with yeah. both at the time, my biggest bucks to date and, uh, you know, those are, those are awesome moments. And, and, um, you'll, they're, they're just things you'll never forget and you'll never want to not tell somebody about it. Right. Like you're, you're always talking about it. So I want to go back to this year's buck really quick. Cause I just thought of something yeah. like, cause I'm always curious. I feel like, you know, when you're hunting, you know, bucks, you know, and if you're looking for mature bucks or whatever, you know, when you look back on it, there's always like, they taught you something like you picked up something along the mm-hmm. way that like you didn't really wreck it. And, and in the moment you probably don't really realize it or whatever. But like, when you think back on it, you're like, well, why did that work and play out? Right. Like mm-hmm. what, cause I've set up so many times where I thought it was going to be better and it was awful. Like, what was it this time that made it work? So I'm curious for you, like in hindsight, like if you've looked back and reflected on this past year's hunt, that archery kill, what was the learning? What was the thing where you're like, yeah, I need to remember that going forward. Cause that's like another pillar, or like another foundational piece to continue to use. Oh, you're going to love this. So last year I hunted this spot. And like I said, where I had the camera was probably 10 yards away from a tree that I sat last year and had an encounter with a, a Pope and young deer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I had a frame pack at the time. Last, I'm talking about last year. Yep. Had a frame pack at the time. We went in there on a morning that was like the day before it was in the 60s. And then we had like a, a 20 degree drop in temperature. And the wind that I was hunting, I was hunting a specific uh, bedding area. Mm-hmm. And the wind wasn't quite, quite right. It was actually a little bit more in his favor, but enough that I could get away with probably getting getting a shot. And um, the buddy that I hunt with, um, most often on public land was sitting down near where he sat, where I killed this buck this year. And, um, 
he was he was in them. I mean, there was small bucks and medium bucks and does betting all around him all morning long. And I'm like, well, I guess I picked the wrong spot today. And uh, I think it was like 1030 for some reason. And I don't, you know, I don't know why, but I let out a snort wheeze, just a blind snort wheeze. Mm-hmm. And it like I could I could be one. of the, I could be like, oh, well, I just I knew it would work. Right. But I didn't know it would work. I just let a snort wheeze out probably because I was bored. And uh, next thing you know, I'm like, I'm like looking down at my feet. And I see like a little flash out of my eye. I'm like, holy shit, there's a buck coming up that trail. Right. Oh, <laughs> it's a good one. And he was moving so fast. Like he was definitely coming at Snortweed. Right. And he was moving so fast that I was like, oh my goodness. And he got behind a tree and I drew my bow. And he was just needed to clear like one little sapling. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, I'm going to get them. This is going to be second year row. And I'm like already like, oh, I can't wait to put him on my pack and be like, ah. Right. Yeah, you know? And all of a sudden he gets all like, you know, when they get squirrely and their mm-hmm. ears go up and he did, you know, one of the head bobs and he looked at the bottom of my tree and I'm like, what the heck's he looking at? And then I'm then I'm doing one of the oh, no, like I got to find a hole. I got to find a hole. Right. Like well, and he blew and ran off and. Of course, he he ran to like 75 yards and then kind of walked off. So I had that painful experience of watching him. Right. <laughs> well, I like I'm like, what in the world happened? Like I threw milkweed out and it's going up in the air. I'm like, what? What, what happened? And I looked down at at the ground and I could see my frame pack. And I could see this tag that I forgot to cut off the pack, a white tag. And it's going oh, just blowing in, the wind, blowing in the wind. Every time the wind blew this pack, like the, the tag, the size of my hand, blowing in the wind. And of course, all it was, I think, I mean, maybe he saw my stand, maybe something made him uncomfortable. I don't know. Maybe the wind swirled all of a sudden or something. All, something. <laughs> all I can think was I had a frame pack laying on the ground with a tag on it that was just flapping in the breeze. Right. I would say that that was probably it, man. Like, I think that that's <laughs> probably. probably yeah, I had, I had a video of it. I think I posted it on Instagram. And I actually talked about this with Tony. I texted him from the tree. I'm like, I don't know what happened. I, he's like well, dude, all you got to do is you just got to capitalize on your mistakes. Like think of something that you did or maybe that you could have done better or maybe it wasn't even you. Maybe it was just, maybe, like you said, maybe the wind swirled and I'm like, it was the pack. It was the (laughs) pack. (laughs) But I think what I did right for this year the wind's really consistent there. Maybe it could have been the wind. I don't know. The wind does odd things, especially when the temperatures drop like that and you have all those frontal things. It does right. weird things. But I think the one thing that I did right this year in that spot was, and I, I, I don't know if I mentioned this, but I actually had a person on the camera like hmm. a few days before I killed the buck this year. And I didn't, I grabbed the SD card out of the camera and I found the tree near all those scrapes that I told you about yep. that were shifted over. If I had been in the tree that I sat in last year, it would have been, the deer would have been about 60 yards away hmm. and I wouldn't have had a shot at all. And 
I chose those graves because I'm thinking in my head, oh, well, Clint, what would Clint do? Oh, Clint would <laughs> definitely hunt these graves because they were just made. I know they were. And I know Tony would hunt these graves because they were just made. I'm like, but it's right near the road. And then I got up in the tree and I'm like flipping through. I'm like, oh, there's a nice buck. Oh, there's a person like two days ago. And I'm like, you know what, though? That guy was just moving through. Sometimes I think deer know, like ground scent's a terrible thing. Like we all know deer yeah. hit your ground scent. That, it's, it's an awful thing. But I think sometimes they do know a little bit of the difference where like, oh, if ground scent's here, but I don't smell a large amount of scent, I think, I think they kind of know where people just bypass. Right. Because I mean, I've had plenty of like, to your point, trail camera pictures where it's like, I literally just walked in, hung that truck camera and three hours later, I have a good buck on it. You know right. what I mean? And so I think they do, they do have, like, they are able to decipher whether or not that particular scent is dangerous in that moment or not. Exactly. And, uh, and it's not like a, like a, a magical thing, uh, not like a sixth sense or anything. It's just that like, they know when, when people typically, if they see a person or encounter a person, and a different just... buck might react differently too. You sure. Know what I mean, cause like yeah. they all have different personalities and different ways well, yeah, they're going to react. They might, they might climb out of their skin or they might just know because they live in that area. Oh, this is just where people walk by to get to this area. Exactly. And, um, I was like, well, you know what? Like, cause I'd be like, ah, oh, there's a person here. And I was like, you know what? I don't care. Like I'm already, I'm in the tree. I know that I've seen when I've seen people sign in here, it doesn't look like they're staying here. It looks like they're moving through it to get to this, uh, you know, this pinch point or this food plot or whatever it happens to be. And I'm like, this just, it's just cause it's next to the, it's next to like a hiking road. Like I don't, I just don't think people are here, but I know there's really good deer sign. And I know that I saw a big buck here last year. So there's new fresh sign that was just made. I'm staying here. I, I have a, you know, I have a, an inkling that, and I could be wrong, but I have an inkling that I'm going to, if I'm going to get a shot, it's going to be here. Right. Cause there's enough cover off the road that they can get by kind of without, if people were to cross, they, they still have some cover between that, that hiking trail and, and the, uh, the area that the deer were using. So I think that that was kind of learning experience and, and, I think that's probably like what I'm like, I'm not letting another one get away here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think part of it too is man, is that that stuff tends to kind of snowball and stuff like that. Because once you, at least this has been my personal experience. It's like, once you've made that like gut decision, um, you know, based on what you're seeing and then having success. And that doesn't mean necessarily always sticking a deer it could mean that you had a really good encounter. You know, it's yeah. like you read what you needed to read. It didn't work out, but you had a good encounter. It just continues to build the confidence of to always trust that instinct and believe what your eyes are telling you. Yeah. You know, because especially for me going, you know, and traveling out of state, and I want to get to that next because I want to talk a little bit about some of your out of state hunts. Yeah. Um, to me, it's paramount that, that I kind of, follow that fundamental truth, you know, because I don't have most of the time, like this year in Missouri, it was all free. It was all freelance hunting. Like yep. I didn't scout any of it. I showed up, scouted it, hunted it for a day and a half. And then if I didn't like it, I'd move, you know, and that was right. just rinse, repeat. That was kind of every day. The cool thing was, is we had encounters with 
shooter bucks within bow range within the within two days on every piece you know and i mean some of them were running where you weren't going to get a shot or moving too quickly or whatever but they were all they were all under 40 yards you know yeah i saw uh, your videos they were great yeah and you know in the last piece we just you know we were at the right place and i think even said in the second piece it's like we were just 20 yards out of the game you know and it, it was just one of those things too where where we were set up when you looked at the ground at ground level you couldn't see the hard line that 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 thick stuff started to make. It was only yeah. once you got up uh, up the tree that you could see now where that, because it all felt thick while we were walking through it. But once sure. we got a visual, like a an elevated perspective, of it, we could really see where it got thick and where that transition line was, right? Yeah. And we were about yeah. twenty yards away from it, you know. Uh-huh. And so, in hindsight, I would have been twenty yards closer had I known that, right? right. But, but we were in deer again you know what I mean? Had an opportunity. Right. And so that to me is like the big thing is like trusting your gut and then always looking at those moments and being like, what can I take from it? Right. And my big learning thing was whenever I was in Iowa, cause I had multiple encounters with the same mature buck over and over and over again, where mm-hmm. I literally got to watch him, you know, yeah. I probably had a total of five plus minutes of just watching that deer over the course of a couple of days. And you sure. really start to get a sense of like, why he's doing what he's doing, what he's trying to scope out on you. How is he working the wind? And it was starting to be able to visualize that, you know, cause yeah. I don't know, it's, you can listen to guys like Dan and like all these guys who are just great hunters and like just name any one of them. I reference Dan a lot because I've learned a ton from that guy and I actually probably owe him a lot of bottles of whiskey, but we all, <laughs> yeah. um, but you can listen to it in theory as much as you want you know, and, and a lot of people are good, like auditory learners or visual learners or watch a video and they kind of understand it and get it. But man, until you actually see some of that stuff, like actually happen and watch like the best education you will get is never going to be on a DVD or a podcast. It's going to be watching that deer do deer things in the deer woods period. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and that's to me is why like every encounter, even if it doesn't end in a kill is so valuable, you know, cause you're just, you're watching deer do deer things and you just get glimpses of their world during the season, Yeah, you know? So now that's awesome, man. That's a, I mean, I love hearing that. I love when guys just, that's my favorite types of hunts is like when dudes just read sign and are like, this is it going to do it. <laughs> yeah. And actually like I'm, I'm new to, I'm not, I'm no, I'm not new to the hunting at all by any means, but, but, again the public land thing and this is going to be funny to you but i am new to trail cameras right? oh wow like I, okay i've owned these trail cameras for two years and um you're probably better off for it to be honest you learn a lot you learn a lot more from reading the sign mm-hmm. and i i won't i'm, I'm addicted to trail cameras now because i love to see pictures of deer don't we all like right exactly you know, anybody i i think any joe schmo could hang a trail camera and get a picture of a really nice buck maybe it's not during the day or whatever but at some point something is nice is probably going to go buy it right if if there's a nice one in the area you you might get a picture of him right so but but who doesn't like looking at pictures of big deer like everybody does you know but i think um you know walking those train funnels and um reading the rubs in fact the area that, that i hunted last year I told you about the one that, that busted me first. Well, I, 
I got busted in my honey hole last year and it was like a probably 140. Oh man. And I had a I had a shed from him like 3 years prior. And I don't know, I think I finally got a picture of him this year in velvet. I'm pretty sure it's him. Um but uh I found this ridge and it's all the same size laurel tree rubbed at the same like uh contour line on the same like you walk this distance and i'd find a bed and then i'd find and then i found a shed right next to a bed with a laurel tree that was rubbed the same size as this one and like i i i don't know maybe it's different it, it could be coincidence maybe it's a couple different bucks rubbing the different laurel trees but it seemed at least i knew there was some good ones in there just by reading the sign like you know right like beds are huge like huge and um i got i had actually hunted in there with my buddy i saw all these bucks chasing these does on this bench and i'm like oh well, i'm in the wrong spot i need to drop a little bit lower and i did and i ended up dropping a little too low mm -hmm. and um we went back in there the next week and i'm like this is it and i had a little button buck chase a doe by me early in the morning and then about an hour later i just heard a little tick i turned around and there's a buck above me like 20 yards above me or he was going to be at 20 yards and which basically you know you're hunting in steep terrain like that puts him at eye level with you right and that sucks yeah because <laughs> my wind was great like he didn't smell me at all i remember him just like doing one of the head but like put his head up down up down up down and i finally drew my bow and and he just he busted me yeah no dude it's and then he's, that was one of the ones where they just get to 70 yards and just blow at you for like an hour and you're like okay okay i get it i get it you won like this is we can knock yeah. it off already you know i'm like now i can see your rack in plain sight because you know you try to not focus on the rack as hard as that is right but i think that's one of the things like i i get i'm like i get so jacked up when i see a buck with my bow and and learning all this stuff from the guys, like you said, you can read as much as you want, but until you get there and you experience it, like you're never going to know how to do it until you just experience it a few times. Yeah. Like it's, you, you might, you might blow your first couple of times. Yeah. The, I, I totally got, uh, <clears throat> the one I missed in Iowa last year, I totally had buck fever like the, yeah. cause that was legit at that point. Um, was the biggest deer I ever had in bow range. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like that was legit the biggest deer I ever had a close and that close of an encounter with. Um, I did see one bigger than that on the trip, but it was, I mean, when I saw it, my leg was shaking. Like after I saw it and recognized what I saw, you know what I mean? I was like, I had like the legit Southeast Iowa, you know, 180 inch encounter, you know what I mean? And, uh, it wasn't, it was fleeting. Cause he saw me at, before I saw him. So he was gone and it was a CRP field. So it was pretty wide open. It's just, yeah. I thought I knew where he, I shouldn't say I thought I knew. I suspect that there could be a good deer bedded in that spot. Just, it was literally, I told this story before too, but it was literally, I watched, a, I watched a hunt that Zach Farrenball had done like a week prior. Yeah. And it was almost like the same setup. And so when I walked into it, I was like, man, this is exactly like that setup Zach hunted. You yeah. Know? And, and so I kind of went into like, all right, let me see if I can glass this and this other side of this CRP. Cause it was like a little draw in the middle of the CRP field. And I was like, 
man, that would be a great place for a buck to lay would be in that draw, you know? And so I started glassing, didn't see anything, picked my pack up, took two steps and I just heard him get up and, and take off. And it was the biggest freaking deer that I've ever seen in my life. I don't know that I'll ever, I may never see another one bigger, put it that way. Knife in your heart. Dude. Yeah, pretty much. But I definitely got shook whenever I missed that, missed that one. And that's really like the only time, like I'm usually, I fall apart more after yeah. than I do, than I do during, you know what I mean? Like I have good moments where that happens to me too from time to time. Yeah. I don't know what it is. Usually I'll put it this way. Like, you know, we'll get to this in a second. So I want to talk about some of our challenges and stuff like that. But the one that I hit in Missouri, and if anyone out there hasn't watched, you can watch this video on uh tethered's YouTube channel, the final, my final day of the Missouri hunt. I hit this deer and, and I ended up not finding it. And what ended up happening was I clipped a small branch that I just didn't see in the shadows and whatever. It wasn't until we went back and looked at the footage frame by frame that we actually saw the, the, the branch. I knew I hit something cause I could tell my arrow went from being a streak to now wobbling, but I didn't, yeah. didn't know what it was. And that's, I was kind of confused cause I didn't see anything. So when we looked back, recognize what I hit, but like that shot was on the money. If it wouldn't have clipped that, <laughs> wouldn't have clipped that branch. And it's like, if you watch the video, it wasn't like I was shook during the shot or anything like that. Like whenever I drew back, like I was yeah. solid. No, you're solid. Yeah. I saw it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I let it rip and that's usually how I am. Now, after I got done, I was like, you know, I think I even said to Zach, like, I don't count my chickens until like I put my hands on the rack. Like <laughs> when uh -huh. I do that, then I'll like lose my stuff. But until then yeah. I try to not get too, too high. And to me, that happened pretty quick. Like we saw him, I rattled him. He started coming and then I had, he was going to come to my strong side, but then he didn't. And then he started moving to my left. So it's like, I was trying to decide what side of the tree I was going to go on. And so I didn't have time to like really think about what was happening. I just had right. time to like react and try to get set up, you know, mm -hmm. I'm better that way than I am. If I have time to watch. Right. Like if I see it approaching from like 50 yards out and I'm just watching him for four minutes, oh mm -hmm. dude, I can't like, I'll, I, I'll lose it on a doe. If I see a doe coming from like 40 yards and I have to wait five minutes to kill her, mm -hmm. like I'm, I'm a mess by the time I release my arrow. <laughs> and I actually, and it's funny. I think everybody's different. I, we all, I think it's one thing in my life. That's just like, it's something I want so bad. And yeah. you just, I do a lot of crazy stuff. I push on people's chest and do give life altering drugs. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't do it for me. You know, like I'm right. like, Oh yeah, it's another day at work. Right. When I see a deer, I'm like, Oh, <laughs> but I have my, my first public land bow buck. I did. I, I watched him for 45 minutes at 10 yards before I could shoot him. And at first when I saw him, I was like, I was all jacked up. And then I was able to actually calm myself down and be like, listen, you just need to calm down. <laughs> right. If you have that amount of time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I had a similar experience in Ohio one year. It was before I killed the, the one that I ended up killing on the third day. I saw a really good one on the second day and I played with him for 45 minutes, like similar to yeah. you where he came in following a doe. The doe was going to cut across me and I kept watching. He was raking a tree. He was making a scrape. Like he was just putting on like, it was like watching the outdoor channel. Right. It was like yeah. everything you would want to see in a rut. You know what I mean? Like that buck was full display. Yeah. And he, uh, 
that doe came right in front of me at like 25 yards and he should have did the same thing, but there was like this little lip and he, he went down over this lip and into this like thick stuff that was this like old logging road and mm-hmm. I lost him. And so I watched him that, I mean, it was like 40 minutes. Like he was messing around cause I could see the doe and she didn't start coming toward me. He was actually, she was in front. She kind of came out of the thick stuff and was feeding on like, there's some acorns over there. And he yeah. kind of just kind of kept working toward me and she fed over there for a while and kind of like milled around or whatever. And he kind of stayed yeah. over there and was raking trees and stuff. And then finally, after like whatever it was, like a half hour, she started finally feeding her way toward me. And then he picked her up and he got down in that thick stuff and continued to rake a tree. I grunted at him. He never showed. And mm-hmm. then it, it went completely quiet. And I just assumed like, look, I'm not going to pull a buck off of the doe on I shot him on November 6th, right? I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to pull. No, I, that would have been, I would have had that encounter on the 5th. I was like, I'm not going to pull a buck off a doe in the first week in November. <laughs> like, it's just not going to happen, right? So right. I was like, you know what? I'm going to throw one more Hail Mary grunt. Maybe for some strange reason, he decides to turn around and challenge whoever that is. And I threw out a grunt. And what I didn't realize is he came quiet. And he was so quiet. He was at 20 yards when I grunted. And I, I put my grunt down and looked and he, there he was. Oh man. Blown opportunity. Right. But like that one, I was actually calm because to your point, I watched him freaked out for probably 15 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and then it was like, all right, dude, if you get a shot opportunity, you're going to blow it. Cause you're losing your stuff. Like I started breathing, like, you know what I mean? Like yeah, <laughs> thinking about baseball, you know? <laughs> thinking about that birthing class you went to. Yeah, right exactly. <laughs> anything, anything to try to like, to try to chill out, but man, let's, let's shift gears here, dude, and talk about out of state, man. Cause I know that's something that, that you've started kind of venturing out to. So what's, uh, what kind of tickled your fancy there, man? What started making you want to kind of venture out into some new places? Uh, I don't know. Like I've been, um, one, one big influencer as far as out of state, um, has obviously been, uh, been Tony Peterson. Like he's a huge advocate for it. Yeah. Um, as well as you and, and Bo Martonic, you guys talk about all these great hunts out of state and, and whitetail hunting out of state is not the big thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you're not like, Oh, I mean, a lot of people are starting to figure out that like, Oh, some of these Midwestern states are great states to go to for whitetails and not just mule deer or elk or, right. or things like that. Um, and, uh, so last year was my, my, um, my first shot at an out of state hunt and I did get to go, I went to Ohio and, um, I just picked the biggest piece I could find. So we went, to, I'm going to just say it. We went to, mm-hmm. and it's huge. It's like, you know, 60,000 acres and there's clear cuts all over it. There's not like a lot of ag around it other than the private stuff, right? right. Like, no, uh, there's no ag on it. Um, but it was, it turned out to be a great time. Um, it was, a is five of the guys that I like to hunt with. So kind of a big party um for a first out of state trip but we really had a good time nice. we stayed in the campground there and the style of hunting that we did is similar to to your your freelance style mm-hmm. like i mean we kind of just uh uh did a lot of e-scouting it's not it took us like eight i think eight hours to get there mm-hmm. from here um so you know did a lot of e-scouting and none of us um were able to uh and put any boots on the ground there so you know we spent like a day uh day or two scouting we got to hunt there for i think six days um 
but we did, you know, did the first day, two days uh, of scouting. And um, one of my buddies and I got there first. So we did did a lot of the footwork and we're like, oh, like you, you go out this direction and check out these areas. And we all had some encounters, like saw some smaller bucks and some does, but it's it's so big there. Mm-hmm. And like if if there's an area to pull off one of those state forest roads, there's trucks there or there, you know, you turn your headlamp on in the morning, there's thumbtacks the whole way down, you know. Right. Uh, so it is, it, it surprisingly, there was like a lot of pressure around a lot of those areas. And I'm sure there are definitely areas there that you could get way back in, but it's thick. So I think that you need it, in that area, you, there's some places, if you want to hunt in there, like you have to put boots on the ground and figure out how am I going to get in here without blowing out four miles of, you know, yeah. like, and every all the the deer are really spread out there too is what we were finding in the first area that we hunted in um so what we tried to focus on when we were just not having finding what we wanted was trying to find some water and trying to find well if there is ag how are deer accessing that so um we did get into uh an area there where uh you can you can see across you you can see almost across into Kentucky down there, right? Like the Ohio River's there or whatever. Right. And um we got into some areas where in the evenings there was a lot of these deer coming out in these ag fields. And you talked to all, a lot of guys from uh Virginia and West Virginia were hunting there and they were like, Oh man, I'm seeing all these big one thirties and these one thirties, one forties, you know, in these fields out here. And we kind of were like, Well, how can we like how can we like play off of that? So we did find some areas on some ridges that um, we found some like streams and ponds and stuff close by and and uh, got up into those. And I, you know, we, we did the did the similar thing, kind of looked for sign, got into where the freshest sign was. I finally, finally, we started to like. I, I got in back in pretty far, everybody else kind of like tapered off front we you know had one person near the road and one person kind of everybody filtered in and i had happened to go in back in pretty far this one evening and finally started running into some really nice rubs and scrapes and i'm like oh man this is nice it was an area that didn't have a lot of oak trees there was some beech trees and a lot of maples but the oaks were really sparse and i'm like well this isn't really a bad thing right like if there's deer using this ridge they're probably going to go to that white oak tree because it's the only one around concentrates them. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I happened to get on the end of this point that was right above a pond and there were one or two white oak trees on the very middle of this point and everything else was maple trees. I'm like, well, this, this looks about right. So I'm going to just, I'm going to kind of set up here. The wind was great. It was blowing off the end of the point towards this pond and I could see all the way down to the pond. I'm like, oh man, like something, hopefully it just drops off the edge of this point and I'm I'm good. And it played out like, it played out like a perfect story. Like, uh, you know, hour before evening, this nice, you know, I don't know, maybe 120 inch, 115, I didn't really care. I was like, I want to shoot a nice buck. That's right. I've never got deer out of state. Like I want to just shoot a nice buck. It's 115, 120 inch eight pointer dropped off this ridge and came right onto the flat onto the point and went right to that oak tree. And then I realized you're a little far off of that one. You should have been on the other one. (laughs) (laughs) 
And I'm like, I grunted at the deer and he would come like 10 yards closer, but then go back to the oak tree. And then I like, I realized like he just, he ran down the other side of the point and I'm like, well, I guess he spooked or something. And then he would run back up and then he'd run down and then he'd run back up and he'd run down. I realized he was chasing off bucks off the other, these little bucks off this, this, this oak, the oaks Mm. that he was on. And then finally some other small bucks came off this, off the ridge and they were sparring and he's there. I just, I, I think I saw like, I think I saw six or seven bucks on this oak tree, wow. like all in this oak tree. And only, only that one was a, like, I'm going to shoot. I want to shoot that deer. Right. And we're like, we all get out. We all get out without busting anything. Everybody got to see like some bucks or some kind of action that night. And there are turkeys everywhere there. So everybody had some fun watching turkeys. Nice. But, um, I'm like, I'm going to go in there tomorrow in the morning. I'm going to set up right where that deer was. I'm going to kill him. Because <laughs> we did, we ended up watching them go out to these ag fields then. Okay. You know, that or like a mile away. So uh, went in there the next morning and we're like, oh, like, okay. Well, the one guy that we, that we brought forgot to download his offline maps. Oh, on off, right. And there is no reception. Like, dude, you don't like the reception's awful once you step foot in the woods. So we're like, all right, Ronnie. You follow Jared, you go up this, and then you turn in here, okay? Well, This isn't the guy that got lost, was it? <laughs> no, I'm just no, kidding. No, <laughs> not the guy that got lost. It, it's funny because Ronnie, Ronnie can get turned around from time to time, too. But um, <laughs> So Ronnie, Ronnie's a great guy. He's a pharmacist that works with us at the hospital. He's an uh, adult-onset hunter. Super nice dude. Nicest, give you the shirt off your back. Super nice guy. He's from California. Go figure. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but really, really nice dude. And tell so Jared takes Ronnie and Jared's been hunting for a long time. We, most of us have a lot of hunting experience. And Jared's like, all right, go up there. Just like, you know, like 300 yards and you turn in here and that's you just go up that ridge. Ronnie's like, oh, OK. So. I didn't go straight up the points because I knew the deer, like if I did that, I'd blow everything out. Right. I was like going up this creek bottom and actually walking back, back the ridge to the point. So I wouldn't, wouldn't blow them out. And I'm like, it took me like an hour and a half to get in there easily an hour and a half. And I'm like, all right, this is it. And I look on the end of the point at that Oak tree and I'm like, there's a freaking headlamp there. I'm like, there were no cars in the park. Like who, like what the heck? How did, I guess, I guess somebody came in after us and just walked up that point. I'm like, well, I guess I'll just go up the ridge. So I like went up higher and I ended up seeing a buck or whatever. And I was really bummed out. I'm like, guys, there's somebody, I can't believe it. Everybody's like, oh, we're going to get one today. You know, right? we're all all pumped up. Like, like, oh yeah. And, uh, you know, we're like, oh, somebody was there. I don't know who was there. And they're like, I saw a truck there early. Then like later, oh, I don't know. So we all get back and, and Ronnie's like, oh, I'm going to go, I'm going to go, you know, find somewhere that has Wi-Fi and download my offline maps. So he like goes and downloads his offline maps and we're all talking and he's like, what did you say this thing looked like? Where, where were you hunting? And I was like, well, it was like a pond. And he's like, a pond, huh? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, hey, Ronnie, how far up the road did you go? And he's like, I don't know, like 300 yards. And I'm like, was it more like a hundred yards? 
I don't know, man. I don't really know. I don't know <laughs> yards, man. And he's like, he's like, well, here. And he like sends me his track on OnX and sends me the point where he was sitting. And I was like, oh. As soon as you like, said that, I was like, was, that is Ronnie is in your spot. As soon as you said, I saw a headlamp. It was hilarious. Dude. That's awesome. And he's like, oh, go figure. Like, oh. And we all had, we all laughed about it. Like, I couldn't be mad. I was like, oh, like we're all new to this, like out of state thing. And like, it was, it was hilarious though. And he was all like, oh, I'm sorry, man. I'm like, dude, it's not like you. It wasn't like he intentionally did it, right? It's like he he accidentally ended up there. So, right, right. Well, actually, he's he redeemed himself this year. He uh he helped me go find Seth this year. And when he uh when when my buddy got lost in the woods, Ronnie was there to help. There you go. Way to go, Ronnie. Way to pay it back. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. The out of state thing's great. I love it, and I I wish I could have done it this year. I just couldn't. the hospital that I work at was kind of like wishy-washy about whether, oh, like, oh, well, you, you can travel, but if you travel and you need to take time off because you get COVID, you might not get paid and like right, stuff like right. that. I was like, yeah. you know what? Like, Just not, no, yeah, no, I get it, man. It's not worth it to, yeah. to risk it or whatever. The uh, Now, did you kill a buck on that trip or did you kill one out of state previously? There was a, or that might've been, I saw a picture of a big one and that might've been the big one that we already talked about. Yeah, my I think the eleven pointer was probably the one okay. you talked about. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome, yeah. man. I'm, that's a that's a good trip though, man. You sell bucks. Like anytime you can go on an out of state trip and you don't know anything about it and you can see deer and see yeah. bucks and be in the game, like that to me is like the step in the right direction. You know? It's oh yeah, like, man. And it was a great time. We all saw I think we all saw Everybody saw at least four bucks on the trip. And it like the biggest thing for me too, it's like, I always tell people, you know, if they ask, like I don't give them unsolicited advice necessarily, but you know, the biggest for me, aside from what we talked about earlier with like just watching deer to learn deer and stuff like that. And when you have these encounters, you know, don't just look at it as an encounter, ask why did the deer do what it did and all those things to try to start to pull it apart the biggest thing that like helped me expedite my learning curve, especially whenever you start talking about, you know, some of the stuff that, you know, the guys that have been on this show that I've had on talking about tactics and strategies and stuff like that is taking yourself out of your comfort zone of where you're familiar and going to places where you have to encounter different terrain and different topography and stuff like that. And start to understand how those principles apply and those strategies apply in different in different areas, right? Cause it's, yeah. it's just different. Like for me around here, I hunt a lot of flat ground cause it's a lot of swamps yeah. and stuff around here. You're close to sure. water. It's low lying. You get a little bit of elevation when I travel. Sometimes it's mountains. When we were in Missouri this year, it was everything from a river bottom was the first piece for like two and a half days. The next day was like, you know, kind of like ridge systems or whatever, what I would consider more hill country. It wasn't, super steep you know um and then the last place we went to was like around a big body of water so it was kind of flat but with like these really deep like draws and drainages that ran into this body of water you know Mm -hmm. and then had just a little bit of top of it like these big like crp grass fields with like these fingers of timber coming coming out into them so it was just a really that trip alone it was like i hunted like very different kind of vast topography and and habitat you know right and so it makes you kind of it's not static it's dynamic you know 
your thinking right. has to be dynamic because it's you're not yeah. encountering things that you're used to encountering every day or the places that you typically hunt, you know? And yeah. so yeah. that way, then whenever I see, and I actually talked to Greg about this too, cause I was like, what I've started to learn and Greg has, you know, I started, like I said, I started bow hunting whenever I was like 30, you know, I started hunting mm-hmm. when I was 12, but the bow hunting game, I really only have probably like, 12 years in, in bow hunting or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. Greg's got like 30, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, and, yeah. you know, and so the thing that's happening for me now, and we talked about this a little bit was, is I'm, I'm actually able now to start, take, start to take like these little micro instances or experiences in like in certain habitat. And I'll find mm-hmm. a place in a different state or even here around home that almost looks like something I saw in state X. Right. right. And I'm, I'm, and I'll go like, Oh man, this, the way these two things come together and the way the wind's doing this, like this is almost like that setup I had in, you know, yeah. Ohio or almost like that setup I had in Missouri. This, yeah. this piece actually hunts a lot like that river bottom piece hunted in Missouri, you know? Uh-huh. And so and so it's not a one-to-one because they're not the same, but I'm starting to pick your, you know, pick out like there might be like one spot here that has like some topography that I can use, like some terrain change or to- topo change, right? Or elevation change. And there might be like a small spot in Ohio that I've hunted where it's like, man, that elevate elevation grade is about the same. And the way those features kind of, it makes it almost the same as this, only in a very different kind of like elevation. Sure. You know, and so I've started to be able to kind of, take those and pull those out and almost plug those in and they, and they work, you know yeah. what I mean? It's like, I have, I guess the simple way to put it is, is I have a lot of analogs because of right. traveling out of state. Right. You know? So that to me is like the big for nothing else. It's you just, you learn a lot cause you're forced to be uncomfortable. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it was kind of funny cause our one buddy, uh, Cameron works for Exodus. He's our, he's our camera guy. He's been uh-huh. on the show in the past. Um, when he was following along like on Instagram and on the podcast while we were out there. Yeah. Um, and I think he was talking to Chad some too. And we were on that river bottom and we were like, we're leaving. We're going to a place where we have more familiarity with like ridges. And he's like, no, no, no. I want to see you guys hunt something you're not familiar with. Like, yeah. you know, and uh, which was, was cool. And where we ended up hunting, you know, was probably something I was a little, little more familiar with like when we were around that body of water yeah. um but still not come still not completely because we were still dealing with like crp which was like a complete wild card to me because i don't really ever hunt it around here right you know and again screwed the pooch because the big deer that i almost got run over by we caught back up to him like we thought we we looked at the map and <laughs> zach and i were trying to be deer detect uh, deer detectives and we're looking at the map and <laughs> And Zach's like, man, if I were a big deer, I'd probably take a doe here. And I was like, and yeah. I was like, I was looking at the same spot. I was like, it's, that's like still hung our way over there. And right. so we still hunted our way over there and we didn't see him. Like we saw him in the same time he saw us, but we got within 40 yards mm-hmm. and we had the wind in our face. We just didn't take our time. You know, we might've yeah. been able to stock up on him, but such is life in the deer woods, man hindsight i know right well hey man i know i've kept you here like two hours man i could probably talk to you for like another hour we'll have to do another do another session but i want to be sensitive to your uh 
your time at home and your evening. So I'm going to let you get going tonight. But before I let you uh, off the hook here, if you wouldn't mind, let folks know where they can follow along with you, follow along with hunts and any of the crazy outdoor stuff you got going on. Uh, you can find me on uh, Facebook, uh, Aaron Hepler, or uh, on Instagram. It's uh, uh, Aaron Hepler, A Hepler 2188. Um, those are the places I'm at. And I've been writing a little bit for, uh, for Pennsylvania's BHA uh, blog doing a little bit of that here and there um yeah awesome give him give him a follow check him out and uh thanks for coming on brother we'll uh be sure to stay in touch because i do still need to pick your brain about some late season stuff on the personal side sounds good buddy all right man thanks all right folks that is a wrap for today's show i'd like to thank all of you for listening if you haven't yet please head over to itunes and leave us a five-star rating and be sure to subscribe to the podcast in hell While you're at it, head over to YouTube and give us a sub there as well. I'd be super appreciative if you do those couple things for me. And before I shut this thing down, I need to give a big shout out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Tether, Exodus Outdoor Gear, Skull Brew Coffee Company, and Maven Optics. And until next time, we'll see y'all. All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long-sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do-hard-shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro-dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear.